If you're loving the Bible Brief, will you take just a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? We're having hundreds of people every week try out the show, and we want you to help even more discover the Bible Brief. Potential listeners depend upon your reviews to learn why they should listen. So will you do us a favor? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Join the cause to help the world learn the life-changing story and message of the Bible. David asks Yahweh for mercy on his sins before those same sins come to find echoes in the lives of his sons. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. Fight or flight. That's the response that most of us have when something or someone has come up against us. We either fight against the threat or we flee from the threat. Fight or flight. We may have a similar response when we encounter our own sin. Maybe we've been caught in an awful lie. Maybe we've been caught stealing from others. Maybe a dark secret has finally come to light. Many of us will fight against the encounter. We'll lie to cover it up. We'll accuse our accuser of even worse. We'll lash out in anger. Others of us will have the flight response. We'll flee from relationships, from cities, from anyone who might recognize the guilt of our sin. We might change whole friend groups, beliefs, and living arrangements. Anything to escape being found out by others. Anything to hide from our shame. How have you responded when you got caught in sin? Did you fight? Did you flee? Are you still doing it now? David was confronted by his sin in a dramatic way. Confronted by none other than a prophet of God. Condemned by none other than David's own judgment. And in that moment, he had a choice to make. He had to decide how he would respond. Would it be fighting against God? Would it be fleeing from God? Or would it be something else entirely? Up until David's sins of adultery and murder, we had this picture of David as a man after God's own heart. A man unwilling to put out his hand against King Saul, who had tried to kill him many times. A man who obeyed God's mandate to conquer the land of Canaan, even when he was in enemy territory. A man ready to assume his role as king, only when God made it happen. This man after God's heart was marked by his obedience to God. And it can be tempting for us to think about David as somehow having lost this quality as one after God's own heart. As if David were some perfect individual before these great sins. But David was flesh and blood. He was human just like you and me. And he retained this quality of being after God's heart, even despite his sinfulness. Because being after God's heart doesn't mean sinlessness. It means having a direction that's focused on obedience to God, despite the stumbles along the way. It's a rejection 
of the fight-or-flight response to sin in favor of a better one. A response of faith that reflects a principle clearly stated later in the Bible. The principle is this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David understood that his primary sin wasn't necessarily adultery or murder, but his primary sin was disobedience to God. And David knew that the only one who could truly restore him was God himself. The God who said, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, was the same God who said this, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. David didn't just know his own scriptures, but he knew his God. This man after God's heart knew his God, and after these great sins of his, he wrote a song to Yahweh that included these words. From Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David understood something that we should also be quick to understand about God. God is merciful, with all power to look straight at our sins and to forgive us when we confess them to Him. Our sins that put barriers between us and God become occasions to experience God's grace and mercy. Don't mishear something else that David says, though. He says to God, You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Here David's not encouraging disobedience to God's laws for Israel about sacrifices. Instead, he's saying something fundamental about the sacrifices that were commanded of the Israelites. He's saying that the sacrifices that please God aren't merely done out of duty and requirement. They must be done with a broken and a contrite heart. A heart that looks at the sacrifices for sin and sees the great cost of sin against God. The fact that sin destroys life. That death is the penalty for sin. Empty obedience and empty sacrifices aren't obedience at all. Faithful obedience from the heart is what God wants. A broken heart, full of understanding of its own sin, is a heart that can come before God with a sacrifice acceptable to Him. Anything else is empty duty, as useful as watering a dead plant.
God wants our hearts more than he wants the blood of sacrificial animals. David came to God with contrition and with a realization of the awful nature of his own sin. He pleaded with God for his mercy, and he asked God to continue to be with him. He remembered that God had taken the presence of the Holy Spirit away from Saul, and he didn't want the same thing to happen to him. He saw how Saul's life was a wreck without God, and David desired nothing else than reconciliation to Yahweh. And God, for his part, granted David's prayer. He forgave David and allowed the Holy Spirit to continue being with David as he ruled Israel. God forgave David, and yet the consequences of David's actions would continue to show themselves. God is merciful, but forgiven sin still has fallout. After all, the passage we quoted earlier reads in full like this. Yahweh, Yahweh a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity in transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The next generation would see David's sins begin to show up. A father's example can cause awful effects in the minds of his children. David's family would begin to crack, and it would start with his firstborn son, Amnon. Just as David saw a woman that he shouldn't have yet sought her, so Amnon would do the same. But his sin wouldn't even leave the house of David. David had sought another man's wife, but Amnon would seek his own father's daughter. Amnon saw his half-sister Tamar, and his desires were drawn to her in an unhealthy way. Soon his mind wandered to places it shouldn't go, and eventually he plotted to get her alone. Feigning sickness, Amnon asks David to send Tamar to tend to him. But upon being alone with her, Amnon has his way with her, before casting her out of his home. He lusted after her, violated her, and then hated her. An evil act from an evil and weak man. An act that perhaps would have aroused the king's wrath and judgment had he not committed a similar act himself. Instead, David, despite his anger at Amnon, apparently lets his evil toward Tamar slide. An avoidance of swift justice that served as kindling for a new flame of anger. Anger from a brother. Absalom was next in line to the throne after Amnon, and Amnon had just violated Absalom's sister. You can imagine the rage boiling in Amnon, seeing Tamar come to him for aid, hearing her weeping, taking her into his home. He had boiling, boiling rage. Absalom looked to his father David and saw no justice and no retribution for what Amnon had done to his sister. And that rage That boiling rage turned into a plan. A plan for murder. David's sexual sin had been echoed in Amnon, and soon the murder of Uriah would have an echo as well. Absalom simply bided his time. It's two whole years later 
that a runner comes breathlessly up to King David with dreadful news. There was a party, a big party at Absalom's house. And then there was death, lots of death. David heard it like this. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. You can imagine the devastation that David immediately felt, as if time stopped and all the air was sucked out of his body. Immediate grief, immediate sadness, a day that David would never forget. Soon he tears his clothes and lay on the ground with shock and grief surely seeing his own sins flash before his eyes once again. Yet soon one of his advisors comes up to him, an advisor who appeared perhaps better informed than that runner had been before him, one who knew of Absalom's hatred of Amnon and knew of Absalom's plan for this party with his brothers. This man told David that the runner was mistaken. It wasn't that all of David's sons were dead. It was only Amnon. Only his eldest son, who had so violated Tamar, only Amnon was dead. Because Absalom's hatred had finally boiled over into murder. Amnon's lust echoed his father's. And now Absalom's murderous planning echoed his father's as well. All of David's sons hadn't died that day, but he no doubt clearly saw the visitation of his own sins back upon his life. The sins of the father had become a sign to his sons. The sons whose sins began turning fateful gears in Israel. Soon, Absalom would be on the run from David before returning to take the throne. Join us next time as reconciliation turns into usurpation as Absalom takes the kingdom from his father. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.